Welcome to episode 113 of the Fitness Devil Podcast, guys. We've got Eric Bach on here today. We go all over the place into some rabbit holes, some rants with uh, his chat about his hybrid business in person and online coaching together, not just one or the other. We talk a little, <laughs> we dance around the documentary Game Changers. That one's a little bit polarizing, so stick with us for that. Uh, building trust with clients and understanding the difference between having a lot of knowledge versus having wisdom uh, when it comes to that. We also get into focusing on small details versus big outcomes and how we approach clients with that. And we talked to Eric about you know, how he's been a big picture thinker and the discussion of not just trading time for money with his business. Stay tuned. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, every once in a while, I remember to actually introduce us. I'm Andrew Coates. Guido is going to say something. I'm Guido. He's Dean Guido. And uh, we are the hosts of the Fitness Devil Podcast. But more important, we've brought one of our uh, old guests back. We always try to get really great new guests on whenever we can. But we also take every opportunity to bring back our favorites, uh, our friends from past episodes. And, uh, and Eric Bach and I have been talking scheduled for probably a couple of months. We've finally been able to make it work. Uh, and if you uh, know Eric, he's the mind, the force behind Bach Performance, and he's a pretty prolific writer for a lot of different publications, and a business mentor, and a coach. So welcome back. It's good to have you. Hey, thank you very much. I'm glad we're able to get this thing uh, get this thing up and going. Like you said, we've been going back and forth for a bit now, but uh, we locked down a good time, and I'm looking forward to it. What have you been up to? It's been like, I want to say it's been like a year, but it's probably been like two years. It's been a year and a half since we talked about it. Yeah, what have wow. you been up to? Like, that's... That's a while, I know, the, the slam in what you've been doing. What have you been up to? Yeah, man, I mean, a number of different things, but, uh, you know, primarily with, uh, with the fitness business, we've been growing there, um, you know, bringing on another coach who's been taking care and working with a number of our clients, changing our direction a little bit. You know, we do focus primarily on helping, you know, our tagline is help busy professionals look great naked without living in a gym um, with, you know, very customized one-on-one coaching. And, you know, we've been in some different product development and redoing some of our offers. So uh, we want to be able to present and bring things you know, to our clients that not just people who are affording high-end coaching, people who are CEOs, lawyers, and attorneys, but we also want to make sure that we have a number of things that really encompass the principles, kind of the minimalist ideology that, that we really talk about within Bach Performance and make that available to everyone. So uh, we've been developing a brand new group coaching membership site, uh, Minimalist Muscle Monthly, which kicked off last month. Um, and that kind of goes with some of our digital products, Minimalist Muscle, Minimalist Muscle Blitz, that really help people you know, get in great shape without spending more than a couple hours per week in the gym. Which, which is crazy because like before, like everything's changed, but nothing's changed. You're still doing pretty much the same thing just at a higher level. And it's, it's interesting because before we're talking about like younger coaches and online space, but at this point you've had like well, a, another year and a half on your resume at the online stuff. And it, it seems like the other end of the spectrum, like the rest of the online world has changed like every month at this point. You know what I mean? Like all this yeah. stuff that's been coming up and getting turned out and you've kind of just stayed in your, your zone. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's just really easy to get sidetracked because right now there's so much information out there. I mean, you know, we talk about this with our clients all the time and in terms of the amount of information that's available for them and how much confusion that can bring. And it comes to the same thing if you're running a business where, you know, you see all these different ways that people are positioning their business. They're adding something new here. They're changing, uh, changing the direction. They're changing who they want to necessarily work with. And you know, much like if you're program hopping in the gym, if you have that same approach with business, it takes a really long time to get good at anything and do it long enough to, A, kind of build yourself up to the point when you're the best coach that you can be. 
and then B, also having, you know, the support, building up your audience and having those different components come together to really put out a great product that helps a lot of people. So I always like to draw these parallels between business and between training, because when you understand the principles primarily of training, the consistency, focusing on many of the basics and then using more advanced tactics as they apply, well, business is run the same exact way. It comes down to those essential components first and foremost, and then dialing in the specific you know, components that you need to get to that next level. Well, look, I don't know. We, we talked about this off air too, is like you're keeping the same business components. And it's funny because you were talking about hybrid training, like before it was cool. And now it seems like everyone's talking about it now. So like what are your thoughts on, on that? Because I don't know. That's, that's what I'm seeing is like it's like hybrid training is the thing. And you're like, it was the thing when I was doing it like a while ago. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because I see a lot of folks that um, maybe position their business, their B2B stuff a little bit differently before and now really jumping on the fact that they're realizing that, hey, a lot of good coaches, yeah, they like the online training component, but nothing can replace that in-person component for the majority of people because the personal relationships that you build. So it's been an interesting migration where before everyone was like, hey, four-hour work week, let's, uh, you know, build up an online training business and be a digital nomad and do all this. Now it's like, hey, you know what? There's a really good it's a great thing to be an incredible coach in person, but you know what, if you want to be able to provide a different level of service and adapt it to a different way, well, here's this hybrid thing. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I see all of it and I see everyone kind of changing that position. And to me, I just kind of keep my head down because you know, you know what, just go for it. Um, you know, the reason I first really got into the hybrid business coaching was, you know, like you guys, I love being in the gym and working with my clients, but you know, at the same time, when you have clients that are consistently on the go, people that are leaving on weekends, they are traveling three or four days out of the week. Um, it became a way for me to provide a higher level of service for my clients. And that's really how it all began. And, you know, like most things, I think the best businesses and the best ideas kind of germinate organically rather than looking for a spot in the market. And then they just trying to provide a service that fits that pocket. Um, that to me seems like the best way, especially in a in such a passionate industry like fitness. I think that's the best way to both build something that you're going to be proud of and that you want to maintain, uh, but also provide the best level of service for our clients. And, you know, not to digress down the rabbit hole too far, but, you know, there's a big trust issue when it comes to the fitness industry. And I think a big part of that is people see um, these different trends and cycles that come up and they hop on it. And then all of a sudden, even if they're not doing it intentionally, they start to do things primarily for money and lose track of what that vision is that they had in the first place. And again, a lot of times, I don't think that that's something that coaches or fitness you know, fitness folks tend to do on purpose. I think it just naturally happens when you see the market changing around you and you get a little bit fear-based and you make decisions from there. Uh, but yeah, the hybrid thing, again, just to get back to it is it's a great business model if you really focus on providing the best service that you can for your clients. Uh, but again, I think it should stem from organically just trying to provide the best level of service and that's having this something that you add on naturally. Well, something I've been fairly critical of is what I feel like is this promise, false promise in this rush to get completely online, especially for relatively new coaches, uh, and to get away from the in-person coaching. And that, I think, was a thing for a while. I suppose it still exists, maybe less so. I think that there are some people... Love there, for our work. Yeah, there are good people like John Goodman and, and the Personal Trade Development Center who are teaching coaches how to do the online thing. And I know you do this as well, where you supplement your income and you still work with people. But then there are other people out there who are trying to push this idea of living on a beach that you alluded to. And I think people are starting to wake up to this and realize that, you know, outside of some people who've done it for a really long time, kind of old schoolers are really, really smart with the online model. Uh, most trainers 
probably are able to sustain uh, you know, a purely online business. I, mean, I think the other downside to that too is it takes you away from actively practicing coaching in person. We just had Luca Hosevar on the podcast. And while we didn't talk about this with him, Luca likes to still get in and coach. And Luca is involved in real estate and high-level business mentorship stuff and running his gym and a whole shit ton of other stuff. But he always makes a point of spending a little bit of time every week coaching his own clients. Uh, so I'm still someone who believes, and maybe I'm biased because I'm primarily an in-person coach with a little smattering of online and a bunch of writing stuff. But I just like working with people in person. You'll, suck, like you'll suck if you stop it. Like how how like you'll get so rusty. You know what I mean? Like the more you're out of the gym, because I'm I'm kind of experiencing that a little bit too. The more I go on, the more I go online, not the worse I get as a coach, but like you just kind of lose a step a little bit. And then that some of the small things that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's certain things that you have to be aware of that are going to happen when you go online. And, you know, as you mentioned, so many people try to short circuit that route and not get a big base of experience first and foremost. Now, very few people can do it. I've seen a couple of people that have done, you know, a little bit of training in the gym that put out a fantastic online product, but they focus very much on general population and fat loss and keeping things as simple as possible. That's great. But one of the biggest things that, you know, that I learned with, you know, a lot of the experience that I had in person was, when you're working with many different people, you truly have to have a great base of seeing how people move, how they react to different coaching cues. And then the battle online becomes how you communicate this effectively in a completely different medium. Because breaking down a hip hinge and putting people in an actual position with your hands as a coach and then trying to verbalize that online, completely different animal. Especially if you can't be with a person. Cause like, like that's like, if you look yeah. at the hinge, like that's one of the things that a lot of coaches have troubles teaching anyways. So how can you convert that online? If you literally haven't gone through the trials of like literally going through with everyone. Let's yeah. And I think quite honestly, you can, I think the only way that you can really coach effectively, and this is something that, you know, I battled with when I first started taking people online was especially cause I was working with a lot of high level athletes and people who are high performers and I could come in and, you know, they were probably already performing pretty well and I could get them to that next level. But coming online, you don't necessarily know what you have. You can't base that off a phone conversation and an application. You have to know how to properly regress exercises while still making things um, somewhat intense enough where people are going to have that initial buy-in, much like you do when you have somebody in the beginning, right? If you can have um, some joint-friendly ways to boost intensity when you're working with a client when they first come to the gym, they're going to buy in like that and they're going to be like, hey, this is great. But as a coach, you can strategically do that without putting them in harm's way. Online, what we see is everybody posting their, their highlight reel on Instagram and then they go through a digression and talk about how you need to do my one secret method because it's good marketing. Um, and then all of a sudden, people are coming in right with dysfunction and people aren't able to put out a good product with coaching. So yeah, you got to be able to take that step back and truly understand where people are and how to communicate effectively how they should be executing exercises and progressing and all that stuff without putting them in harm's way. I think that comes with experience. Again, a lot of in-person experience. Um, I found that with the amount, like I'm probably, I, I haven't tabulated exactly, but I'm somewhere between 14,500 and 15,000 coaching hours on gym floor in my career over nine years. And I found that it's actually not that hard with that experience to then both describe what to an online client, what I want, send them a video to help them based on the video stuff that they're sending back at me and based on the communication back and forth, iron out the bugs in their movement. So I think if you accumulate that experience, you can do that quite well. 
Now, doing that at a very high volume can get very time consuming. But I still think if you're going to be but that's doing another it, thing that'll be on. So that's that's the reps of online shit is like that's not going to scale, but it works. So you know what I mean? And like, can you? Is there an easier way to communicate online? And I, I guess there is a lot of this. I also think if you're going to do online well, especially starting out, you have to put a lot of time and individualized effort into those people. Um, so this kind of pivots into something we were going to ask you, and it relates to this conversation. Is you know you're really good at the big picture stuff, and I wanted to have your thoughts on. You're not just someone who trades time for money. You know, a lot of your your business stuff, a lot of your online stuff helps expand on that. Um, can you share more of your thoughts on that whole idea of trading time for money and breaking away from it as a fitness professional? Yeah, so I mean, as a fitness professional, I like to always think of the classic big box gym. Most of us have probably worked in something you know similar to you know, a good life or a 24 hour, and you know, they're great gyms. People get incredible results, and I know some trainers that absolutely love it. Um, early on in my career, I'd worked for a gym that had a similar corporate structure. And, you know, with that, you know, I did a good job, had my clients great results, kept getting some escalators in terms of my commission. And um, all of a sudden, you know, all that stuff was taken away when trading dollars for hours and wanted to cut things dramatically. And I realized at a pretty young age, I don't really have a whole lot of control in my business. And I, I think a lot of trainers kind of find themselves in that same position. It's not just even the freedom financially to maybe charge more of what you're worth or be able to make a higher percentage of what you're being charged versus what a gym is going to take. But it's also having the freedom to, to be able to choose maybe when you're working, when you take those shots and, and, you know, vary your day a little bit based on your schedule. So when it comes to not trading dollars for hours, you know, I think it comes down to a kind of knowing what you're worth and what type of client you want to be able to work with, uh, but then also understanding, okay, well, what hours do I actually want to work? I think they both tie back into the overall principle of freedom and the freedom of schedule to dictate, hey, how much money am I going to make? Where am I going to be able to work? What type of product am I going to be able to put out there? And who am I going to be able to help? So when it comes back to trading those dollars for hours, you know, it comes down to, okay, what is my time actually worth when I put in the entire picture, when I'm coming to prepare for these programs, when I'm designing programs, when I'm doing my follow-ups, when I'm working through the nutrition aspect. So what we like to do specifically is we like to teach our coaches that, hey, you know what, what is the overall result that you're trying to bring a client? Because if you're trading dollars for hours and saying, hey, you need to train with me three days a week for the next three months, is that necessarily a customized approach that's actually talking about the specific problem you're trying to solve? And a lot of times it's not. So what we recommend is having our clients sit down with their clients, with you know, the people that they're training and saying, hey, you know what, this is what you're looking to accomplish. Well, based on my experience as a coach, based on science, this is a pretty good time window with which it's going to take. And for that time duration, here's what my rate, here's what my rate is going to be. So it's not something that's necessarily hourly, but knowing what the time duration is for you to provide the amount of feedback, the amount of coaching that you need to provide for them to actually accomplish that goal. Like a, like a perfect answer. <laughs> it's rare well, for us to kind of just sit here quietly and go, nah, we don't have We, we covered all the bases. And I think like that's, if anything, anyone listening is essentially, you're just getting them to think about the problem, which, and critically think about some of the, the concepts in business that they don't normally do. Cause it's like an hour, like yeah. the structure is I work for an hour, I get to get paid this much. And then they, they work their way up from that as opposed to, like you said, understanding what they want and work their way backwards and then just problem solve based on the resources, which is like yeah, normal exactly. to say, but like not, that doesn't always come through. It does in other industries and you learn about this stuff, but the fitness professional tends to, they just don't get taught that. 
Yeah, and honestly, here's what happens most times when somebody comes in and say, hey, you know what, I want to build my online business. Here's my pitch. This is what it sounds like. And a lot of times it's, hey, you know what, it's going to be 250 bucks a month and we have a three-month minimum. What do you say? <laughs> I'm like, that's great. That's great. But like, if you're talking to somebody who has 80 pounds to lose and you know, physiologically speaking, they can expect to lose one to 2% of their body weight in a given week and it's going to slow down dramatically the leaner that they get, a three-month program doesn't solve the problem. It keeps them on the hamster wheel of fitness. And if you can position yourself as a coach, as somebody who's focused on, hey, how can I solve this problem? And maybe come back and say, hey, you know what? I'm not trying to bullshit you here. But if you want to lose this weight, keep it off and develop the behaviors to stay lean for the rest of your life, it's going to take at least nine months. And because of that, this is what I recommend. And it's a nine-month program instead of, hey, this is what we're going to do monthly or this is what we're going to do hourly. Focus, focus what you provide directly on the solution people are going to trust you that much more they're going to you know truly buy into the process and they're going to get much better results and along the way you're going to escape from that hour to hour rat race of just trading dollars for hours and sessions for then it becomes a product then it becomes a it's almost like it it becomes a product like the product is what's your goal and like this is like and and just basically giving them a quote (laughs) like like any other industry which is like your car is fucked up and your brakes are but like here's your springs blah 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 it's going to cost you this much. And you're like, oh, okay, I didn't even know that. Because like, yeah. everyone comes in thinking like, well, I'm going to work for a month or per session. And it's just an education communication problem all the way around. It's just not yeah, and, recommended. And much like that analogy that you used, you know, if you take your car in because the check engine light, up, light is on, like, I, I like my car, but I don't know shit about cars. <laughs> I need them to look under the hood and actually tell me what is going on. You know what I mean? And a lot of times with fitness, it's like, you know what, I would love to give you a quote for my coaching program, but frankly, we haven't had a conversation other than you filling out an application on my website. So I need to find out what things you're struggling with, what your history is like, and what you're truly trying to accomplish. So I can actually give you a number that's anywhere within reason. Which is like, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a different approach, but like you you mentioned corporate structure and selling and all this stuff. And usually like the big thing is like find their X factor and like push on it where you're just like trying to find out what they actually want, which is, is the same but isn't because one's a truthful conversation about like getting from point a to point b and another one's trying to get them to buy in no matter what so you can get money you know what i mean yeah definitely and i think really what it comes down to and it and not to divulge too far into marketing but i think it's important even for the consumer to understand that a lot of times you know what's marketed to is the external problem sell off but what people truly make a decision on is not necessarily, I want to lose fat. It's like what internally is going to change as a result of having this result. And there's a conversation that you truly need to have. That's, you know, maybe at the point of the sale, you know, you can call it a sales call if you want. But to me, it's the first time that you're coaching somebody because if you cannot really get to that root factor, you know, abs aren't going to fix what the big problem is. Biceps aren't going to fix what the big problem is until you understand what is truly motivating motivating you to make this change and then commit to it. Which is like, yeah, like, and that's that's where it's individual and that is coaching at its base is like that whole problem solving aspect and understanding that like these people aren't you. And I think that that's where a lot of these rules come from in the fitness industry because all the rules are made by fitness professionals who like work out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It's uh. Again, I think you just had a key point right there. It's it's not about you. It's about it's about the client, and it just takes it takes practice to kind of flip your mind in that regard, and it, to meet people where they are. And that's like a big point. I think a lot of our professionals make. But let's. I want to go to the football one. Well, this so, ties right into our conversation. Well, this, this ties right in, and I, I don't even know. Like, was it a post on Facebook or Instagram? It, 
I, or both. It, I pretty Probably sure both. Facebook, or was it one of those Twitter ones which you put on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram? <laughs> That's the new one. Oh, I love that. Uh, no, it was something I pulled out of Eric's um, Facebook because there's a whole bunch of just snippets and stuff. I'll give you a little bit of background on what Eric does and, and one of the reasons why I think you know anyone listening should follow him if, if you're not already. A lot of people in our industry start talking about very high-level stuff, abstract stuff, or, or their individual brand and stuff. And nobody that we work with does this better than Eric in talking about the basics talking about the, the fundamentals, the things about nutrition and training and delivers it in an accessible way that speaks to the end user. And in our fitness industry, we get so caught up in trying to impress our peers, other trainers, and they're, they're not often even the people we're selling to. And even I write stuff that's geared more towards the industry because I feel like I'm an ambassador to it in at least a local sense. But Eric's really, really great at speaking to the person who is ultimately going to work with us. So I mined through all that stuff for just some great talking points. And now well, the question. question. Well, that's where like Andrew's like, oh, I didn't like this one. But you mentioned like legendary San Francisco coach Bill Walsh, who essentially yeah. turned the losing team around by, I think it was, it, like you put it in the question, but like focusing on small details versus big outcomes. Yeah. So how does this apply to the success with our fitness goals? I guess for the end user, but as a coach looking at how do you get this into the end user? Yeah, so just kind of divulging, you know, into Bill Walsh, you know, his focus was if you take care of the details, the outcome will take care of itself. And when he inherited the 49ers, they were perpetual losers. And first season, guess what? They went 2-14, and 14, and he almost quit again. But he focused on the process. People were upset because he was so focused, like, on the angle of a cut whether the locker room was clean but all of a sudden that second year everything started to snowball and everything started to catch up and really what this you know how this relates directly to fitness is we get so bogged down thinking about the end result the number on a scale um, how fast we can get results or the 30-day challenge going on really what it does come down to more than anything else is changing behaviors and that comes down to being consistent with your actions and it's so easy to get far away from what you need to be doing right now if you're only looking at the destination. And really what that leads us down to is often feeling overwhelmed. It leads us to program hopping, diet hopping, looking for a quick solution, buying shit on Instagram that's a cleanse, you know, jumping into some quick challenge, and then sitting back six weeks later and wondering, I just worked my ass off, I spent money, and I have nothing to show for it, and now I'm overwhelmed, and I actually gained three pounds, you know? So really what it comes down to with the fitness approach and, you know, really what we like to focus on is just a few basic habits and behaviors. Only once you lock those in and do them extremely well, should you really try to adopt these more advanced tactics. And when you focus on these basics, things like eating mostly foods that probably had a face or came from the ground, nope, drinking a lot of water, getting seven to nine hours of sleep, lifting even three days per week and focusing mostly on compound exercises. Until you lock those things down and do them consistently for a while, all the other things don't necessarily matter. You have to focus on the process, do those things consistently and do them well, and then start to stack momentum from that point on. Two quick things. So first, we, we probably could have a little bit of fun with the comment about we should eat things that has a face because you know that Good right now, especially with the movie Game Changers, a lot of buzz about it. And, you know, that's an easily dismissed one. These food documentaries are usually highly biased and, and this one is no different, but that's a long conversation. But I want to bring it quickly back to the football analogy so that way we can put this in context. So let's say you're 
the idea behind focusing on the small details is you've got an offensive lineman. He's not worried about where the ball is going, the quarterback is throwing it, or anything else in the field. Bill Walsh and, and a good philosophy in football. I know Tony Dungy and the Buccaneers did the same sort of thing. Uh, Your fucking job. A little bit later. The offensive lineman worries <laughs> about stopping the guy in front of him, his immediate assignment. He's not focused on anything other than his specific task in front of him. And if you get an entire team of people focusing on that very specific job in front of them and nothing more complicated than that, the machine tends to go really well. So same thing goes with all these little things you describe in your life. If you focus quite literally on the next meal in front of you, if you focus on that night's sleep, the next workout, these behaviors, and this is the talking point that you hear a lot is you focus on behaviors versus the outcomes. I cannot control if a client loses five pounds this coming month, right? And they can't either, but that client can is in complete control of every single meal they ate, every single night of sleep, and every single choice to work out any given day. It's true though. So like I played football in college and like, I won't call it the one dude, but like we, we ran, we ran, a, we ran, we ran a zone defense. So like, that's the, I, like that all you have to do is your job. And if you don't, it, it all falls apart. And this one lineman never got contained. So the zone defense, if everyone's backed off in their zone and you don't have contained, it's 10 yards every fucking time. It's just like, like literally take Fucking three steps. And anyone who knows me that is listening that's played football with me, they know exactly who this is. Like, take three steps up and just, <laughs> just even fucking stand there. Like, you're, he just, the running back can't go outside of you. Anyway, like, anyone who's played sports, and like yourself included, is that like anyone who's been on a winning team, those things were taken care of. It's not like any winning team just winged it and had all these athletes and they just balled out and there was no process to it. Like, that just, I've just never seen that. And I've been on championship teams and Pretty much every, not that they're selfless, but they do, they just do their job. Like, and that makes sense. One of the best teams in professional sports was Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. And they're famous for running a triangle offense, Phil Jackson. Sure, Jordan is one of the most impressive athletes in any sport, any era. But they still had a very deliberate system. And they had a bunch of other players who all played their roles. And they kept doing themselves. Because he didn't, like, in, in the beginning years, when they made playoffs, he, he, they tried to do that. And when he got shut down, they got fucked. And so it's one of those things where, like, one star player isn't gonna do it. Like in LeBron's, this yeah. Market, well, LeBron, maybe LeBron could. Did he do it? The one year he pretty much did. <laughs> LeBron is so goddamn good. We're hearing off course a bit here, but strange speaking noise. <laughs> is that you or me? I don't think it's me. That sounds like a fire alarm. Anyway, it's all good now. Um, we're getting a little off course here, but yeah, LeBron's had some wins. But if anybody could probably carry a team without much support, it would be LeBron. But yeah, he hasn't necessarily had the team systems and well, he's lost more finals than he's won. Well, let's bring it back around to the point of all this stuff. Well, maybe Eric has a, like, yeah, Eric yeah. Yeah. about all that yeah. since we just don't care. No, no, I mean, I agree. You know, I think it's really important that you talk about, hey, doing your job. If everybody on the field, all 11 guys take care of the task in front of them, you're going to have a successful play. Or if you win six out of five of those, chances are the play is going to go in your way. But that only happens when you focus directly on what you're doing there. I have this discussion with clients all the time to talk about, hey, should I be doing more reps? Should I be doing more volume? I'm like, you should be doing the volume and the reps that you have to the best of your ability at any given moment before we pile on more work. And it's that overall philosophy that more people would really benefit from adapting directly to you know, whether it's anything from their diet, eating higher quality foods potentially, to owning the next meal 
to training and making sure that each rep is the highest quality rep that you can do instead of focusing on what's the next drop set, you know, metabolic, you know, training factor intensity booster that I can use. Well, that's like a normal online thing, like, especially for anyone who's been with online is you'll, you'll get that person. And it's almost like they have that avatar where they haven't been doing the stuff that you assigned. Like they've been doing it all right. And they've been seeing some results and they're like, what's next? It's like, well, you actually didn't do anything I said. Like you've been doing it a little bit better, but like what's next is doing what we intended to do from the beginning. And I don't know. I just think as a coach, you, you can't give in to like the what's next, even for your clients. Cause then you end up feeding that. I'll use an example that sort of gets into some murky territory, but I mean, I think we could touch on this is when, and I've had clients and other people that I know ask me about steroid use. And so the first thing I'll turn around and say is, are you getting, you know, seven, eight hours sleep a night? Are you consistent with your workouts? Are you eating enough food? Are you getting enough protein? And more often than not, multiple dimensions that aren't even in place. And immediately I'm like, well, don't even fucking think about adding something in on top of that. Forget any ethical or legal concerns. Just in this example, it's someone looking for a shortcut that they're hoping will overcome all these other issues. What they don't realize is you go from averaging five or six hours sleep a night to seven or eight. That's like taking steroids. It's that powerful. It is, yeah. Get the fucking steroids, do the natural healthy thing and maximize that, you know, getting enough protein in your diet, actually being really consistent with your training program. These things are powerful. Fuck the BCAAs, forget all this kind of bullshit. And then if you have a very, very good reason to be, let's say you're you know, interested in competitive bodybuilding or some of these other things, well, then you well, can start having those conversations. You like, base, you like baseball? I just watched, we're totally off top. I just watched Screwball on Netflix and it's about like the A-Rod steroid scandal, like the, yeah. the biogenesis doctor. Like, so A-Rod had everything in, in, in line and then he did steroids. <laughs> so he could hit 70 home runs. Well, that's a tough one, you know, Barry Bonds and all those era. Sorry, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get <laughs> no, out. No, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not no, going to lie. I love watching Mark McGuire and Savvy Sosa, the, the historic home run chase. And the, the oh, that was great, game. man. Yeah, that <laughs> that stuff was fantastic, right? And, and everybody kind of knew what was going on. See, baseball is one of those weird ones where, like, I don't think – so football, it kind of gets a bad rap with steroids. But, like, with baseball, everyone's like, we don't care. But then when A-Rod did it, everyone cared, which doesn't make any sense. It's like, no, well, I think that everyone loves Mark McGuire, but they hate A-Rod. It's like, A-Rod did probably, well, that, that's other, another dimension. I mean, we're veering off topic, but fuck it. Let's talk about it. Um, it's a lot of times the personality. A-Rod came off as a vain, narcissistic clown. Uh, Barry Bonds was a surly, selfish personality. Whereas Mark McGuire was Big Mac. He was a big, smiling Big positive source seeming guy. A lot of times is actually just that the attitude. So, so it was just like the nicest. Sammy dude. was just this fun, <laughs> bouncing, yeah. lovable sort of character. Uh, and you look at players over the years. What is it? The Cleveland Indians had uh, Robbie Alomar after he played for the Blue Jays. Robbie Alomar was beloved in Toronto. Everybody loves the guy. Whereas like Albert Bell was a surly asshole. So, <laughs> right? so this stuff matters. We're a little off course here, but it does relate to you know. Anyway, let's say in the fitness industry, your personality, how you interact with people who follow you and just general population, your own clients, it can make a big impact on your reputation. And there are people in our space who are just such pleasant, positive people. We just had Jordan Side on the podcast. I mean, fuck me, what a nice guy he is, right? He's super. Uh, you really have a positive image. You, you, and then there's a few people who, they're fucking dicks. And guess what? 
they're they're nowhere near as successful. How do we turn this? So as it's true though. I mean, perspective is everything. Yeah, and I'm not going to drop any names, but like I can think of half a dozen people in in their online personas and interactions, and, and someone might be thinking I'm talking about like someone like Lane Norton. Fuck no, Lane is bombastic, but Lane is a super nice guy. Right. And yeah, he's at war with the people who are his ideological. So that's his image. Let's actually like, so this can tie to a question. I know you, you want to be prepared, but was that like, not to say like, hey, you're a dick in real life, but like, was that part of the equation when trying to grow in the online space is like how you represented yourself? Because some people don't think about that and some people do. You know, for me, um, you know, in the beginning, I was really shy actually because coaches I was working under at that point and I, I just wanted to make sure that I, pre- I represented that yeah. company that I was still affiliated with the best that I could. So for me, a lot of times in the beginning, I was, you know, extremely purely focused on the science aspect of it. So it took a while for me to feel comfortable putting more of my personality directly into everything that I did simply because I was representing something bigger than me in that regard. Um, but I do think it, it does play an important point in terms of the way that you build your business and the type of clientele that you want to be able to attract. Yeah. And again, when you talk about people who are, maybe always starting issues, being dicks and calling people out and being fucking pricks for lack of a better term, you know, it's just going to put that negative connotation on your business because nobody wants to be around those people in, in space, right? Like you don't want to sit next to somebody watching a game who literally complains about something the entire time. You'd want to sit next to somebody who just complains about politics and definitely bitches without any solutions for anything. And when people make that a big part of their business, it might pull some of those people directly in and not even speaking politics or anything directly, but it puts that connotation that you're somebody who's only out there to complain rather than really provide solid structure and truly help people. When I think that that point gets missed, because I do, I don't truly think it, but I think that a lot of this persona stuff and these arguments and and even the politics is a personal decision to get more attention thinking that it'll translate into sales and you've dealt with enough trainers at this point to have an opinion on that if that makes sense like you know what i mean like do you think that that's a way that can be converted because i know some people do try to do that like they try to create that personality to convert oh yeah i i do think you know to an extent it is important because it's one thing to have authority, which you get from getting people results being, you know, maybe published in different places and then featured and stuff like that. But um, from the empathy perspective, it's important to be able to relate directly to people. And for me, the things that I talk about, I think back to the clients that I had the best relationships with when working in the gym. And what were the things that we talked about? What brought us together and made us also friends outside of the gym? You know, what, what are these discussions that we had? What are the key points for the topics? We talked about bourbon, we talked about sports, you know, we would just kind of bullshit and have a good time. And if I can tie these same factors that, hey, they're part of my personality already, so I can authentically be myself into my content, I know that I'm going to pull those direct people in as well. And, you know, luckily, I don't turn that many people off with most of my conversations, whether in person or online, and it just tends to pull the right people directly into my world. And so, again, I think it comes down to work with people in person a little bit and get to know the actual personality aspect of it and tie that back into your marketing if you want to go online. There's something that I was, <clears throat> I, I think it ties into this as well. And, and I always remember this actually. And, and this kind of goes to more how fitness professionals can engage with other people in the industry. Um, Eric, you were one of the first, first people who I would consider to be someone who's recognized in the fitness industry to add me to social media. Uh, you had added me to Facebook before just I nice. had met you. And maybe, you know, who knows? I don't think we, we never interacted before. But it was before I ended up meeting you in Kansas City. and. Uh, 
I remember us chatting before that and saying it was coming down. But I think the only other person I ever had on Facebook who's kind of recognized name before it was Dean Somerset, but we worked together in the same company for years. But I remember that. <clears throat> and then just being really down to earth and easygoing. I remember us sitting down with Robbie Farwell and Heard of Good, I think, was there uh, that first time and having a drink in Kansas City. And, you know, that goes a long way. And people remember stuff like that. So if you've got, speaking to anyone who's listening, don't just look at the people who maybe are ahead of where you are at this point in your career. Think about where you've come from, but there are going to be other people on their way up and don't like, interact with them. And, you know, the more you engage and you're positive and help those people, those people are going to remember it too. And all of a sudden you may earn a fan or a follower or a friend um, just because you don't know what kind of trajectory they're on. Right. So I think that's sort of a positive. Yeah. yeah again, you know, like, the same people you meet in the way up or who you're going to meet in the way down, so to speak. Right. We've all heard that quote, but you know, treat everyone else the way that you like to be treated. Think back to when you first started in the gym, you know, we probably all saw people who did things the right way, did things the wrong way, but had somebody who probably guided us to take the right steps and it made it a positive environment. And that's really what sucks us into to making training something that's so big into our lives. Well, same thing with business. You know what I mean? So there are other people who've been going through the same struggles that you probably had, maybe the same limiting beliefs or the same, you know, same things that you were going through, have a conversation, be a cool person and, you know, make friends. Never know where it's going to lead you. Let's actually take that into one of the things we wanted to talk about. Uh, there's a quote that you posted. I actually loved it. And it was an Isaac Asimov. And anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's a famous science fiction writer. Um, and it said, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. And that can apply pretty easily to a greater society right now, but it certainly applies to fitness. So I wanted you to elaborate on why you posted that. Yeah. So overall, you know, having knowledge is great. Being well-informed, that's wonderful. But having that knowledge, it does not dictate that you're going to progress in any way. Action does. So really what we need is more knowledgeable action. And that's what leads to wisdom. And that's what we're truly after. Anybody can cherry pick studies and say, this training methodology works the best. But if you haven't implemented that with people, with yourself, among maybe all kinds of different training factors, sleep, recovery, and see how these things are actually working, you can't truly base some study done with 10 college days men who ate McDonald's for four days and drank five beers last night and got five hours of sleep and then came in and did a study and say that that's something that's going to tangibly produce results. So when looking specifically at fitness, there's so much information out there. <clears throat> so many different things can work. Whether I agree with it or not, there are a lot of different things that can work nutritionally or with training. But the most important thing is to actually put some skin in the game, get out there and try it, test things out, eventually start to use them with your clients if you can do it you know, in a safe and effective manner. And then you can really make an informed opinion. And that's the wisdom that we all need as coaches. It's not just cherry picking research or ideas that sound good on paper, but it's actually having done the action of implementing it with yourself and with other people to see how it fits in the grand scheme of things. Because, you know, fitness is, is so all encompassing. It takes the stress that we have from every other aspect of life. It takes nutrition, which is tied into that stress, tied into that lifestyle. It takes training and any other activity that we have, whether it's from work, whether it's from our lifestyle. And tweaking any one of these variables just based on a study without, and then saying maybe that it's the one way to do something, 
it's a blanket statement that does an injustice to every other physiological thing that people have going on. And although it may be good marketing, it's not necessarily the best way to run your business. So again, knowledge is great, but you must have action behind that knowledge, test it out, see if it works, and that becomes wisdom. Well, that's, this brings up like a, because I want to talk about game changers, just because like, <laughs> sure. I, I want to because it's in the, in the media, but like, <laughs> I haven't talked about game changers because I haven't done a fucking vegetarian diet. You know what I mean? Like we, we can cherry pick studies on both ends and like we, we all probably agree that like what was in that documentary was <laughs> on the edge of whether it was right or wrong. But there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions that don't even do it. And so like there's so many like negative stuff surrounding that. And it's just it's almost like a lot of people are missing the point of it all. Like really, they I don't know. It's does that make sense? So it's the same idea, yeah, like even, I, even if I don't agree with veganism and the, and the documentary, I'm not really posting an opinion because there's a net positive with some of the stuff and like, I'm not informed enough on. Like, well, I'm, I'm sort of wary of these. Well, these I'm wary, and I, I, but I'm not like, fuck you, vegan. Like vegan doesn't work because we all know yeah. that for some people, veganism does fucking work. Like it's, it's, it's for them contextually fine. I don't think that these documentaries are helping because I think what they're doing is they're motivating people to forcing people to make these choices for the wrong reasons. They're scaring them. They're feeding them full of misinformation. We can't complain about misinformation in, uh, well, any, like, I don't even want to go near politics, but in politics or in any sort of societal issues and then turn around and go, well, <clears throat> it's okay because it's for a good cause. I, I just can't subscribe to that sort of idea. But, but, that goes, but that goes down to the wisdom part. Like the people who are talking about, not neutrally, but like, having arguments but like not trashing it if that that's more about someone who's coming from yeah. wisdom as opposed to this place of just knowledge because we can all find studies that, you know what i mean point. that's a great point because you're right factually there's a mountain of misinformation in that documentary but some people are, are wise enough to discuss it in context where maybe everybody benefits after the fact i still think these documentaries i think as a rule if there's a documentary about nutrition, avoid it because it's going to be, generally speaking, really biased, full of cherry-picked information, and it's done for entertainment. Agenda, right? Someone's got an agenda, so therefore you can discard it. But at the same time, the general populace are going to buy into this stuff, and they are going to. We at least need to know what's going on because there are going to be people who are watching this, and you need to have the facts. When someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm thinking about," not eating any meat well that can be a really healthy choice for people who are moving off of a really shitty classic western diet but that doesn't mean it's actually healthy for a lot of people there are plenty of people who feel great on vegan diets there are a lot of people who feel terrible on vegan diets so that's wisdom and that's wisdom so that's okay you know I, I think uh, yeah that's a great point you know what we see this in training all the time and you know there's a common idea especially when it comes to looking at marketing would be find a common enemy so if you look at look at the doc documentary, it's you know meat, it's animal cruelty. Like these are you know these are the enemies that are pointed out directly in there. And while it does elicit an emotional response for people to start making a decision, even if that decision, kind of as you hinted at, would be maybe ill-informed and doesn't talk about the entire picture. At least what it can do for some people, and you know I don't know what the answer is to the end of this question, is it gets them to expand their horizons and maybe eat a few more vegetables maybe care about where their food comes from a little bit more and i think these are things that are missed when people want to take a this is all right or this is an all wrong yeah. approach 
You know, I mean, when I look back to how I started training, it was literally pulling out like, you know, Ironman magazine workouts. I was like 12 years old and motherfucking myself in the ground with 87 different <laughs> variations of bicep curls when it's the last thing I should have been doing. But you know what? I enjoyed it. It led me to continue to research a little bit more. I became an informed consumer. I realized, hey, you know what? I did this stuff. It probably wasn't the best, but it started me down a path where I made a ton of better decisions. And the problem, you know, so much now, even like society wide, is like people are so scared to try something and screw up because they think everything they do has to go on this social platform that they can't necessarily experiment without having a fully dogmatic approach in support of one thing or another. And we see that nutrition, we see it with training, people are in these different tribes and God help they do a little bit from another tribe and then try to, you know, do something on their own and become truly educated on it. But, you know, with documentaries like this, it creates such a big problem because people think it's the only way to do it once they've seen a documentary that they have to completely ascribe to this, you know, one method instead of saying, oh, cool. yeah, you know what, like, this is probably really biased, but I should eat more vegetables. I'm going to care about my food more. But as a coach, I think this is why I wanted to bring it up because there is a lot of these documentaries and a lot of like, like you said, like information about lifting, like you can go in T Nation, not that T Nation is a great source, but if you pick, if you went back in the old bodybuilding days, you could pick any of the shit on the yeah. and do lots of it. But as a coach, if you're wise enough to understand the human element of someone's going to see this and want to do these things, how can you structure it in a way to move them towards a better path or using that spark to then get what you want because people are going to watch that fucking vegan documentary and they're going to want to eat more vegetables and you're going to say fucking veganism is stupid and just attack excited <laughs> about something yeah. and you lost the whole point and that's what i'm seeing with a lot of social media is a lot of people are taking stances on it to get attention when really like they're literally just trashing a lot of the people that would be consumers like that's not wise in my opinion you know what i mean like they're like the people who want well, yeah, and yeah. want to do something they're they have good intentions I actually, yeah, I, the way I approach um, anytime a client comes to me who wants to try a different approach to nutrition, one of my clients recently, um, I guess a, a young and inexperienced nutrition a, a bodybuilder has been following her for a while and he starts like giving her advice and like just whipped up this clean eating seven meal a day, um, you know, nutrition plan that doesn't account for calories very well. But she's curious and, and, you know, the guy's paying her compliments. Therefore, she sort of wants to try it. So she, she shows it to me and I've got two choices and, and I can go, all right, this is fucking stupid. This person's an idiot. Or I can go, okay, let's, let's take a look at this with her. So let's give this a shot because she wanted to. Now, based on what I'm seeing, here are some things that are true. And this is why this is really, really a good idea. And here's a couple of things that aren't quite accurate. So I want you to be aware of this stuff, but I'm supporting her the whole way, building trust because I've worked with her for probably six, seven years now, and she's lost 80 pounds. She's done really great. She just had this point where she wants a little more. She's a little frustrated because she's hungry for it. And yeah. through that conversation, what happened was pretty quickly, she veered back around asking me a bunch of questions. So, and the person I thought that uh, resonated most with a lot of stuff she's going through would be Sophie Lee, who's a friend. And so I uh, gave her the copy of the book, uh, Eat, Lift, Thrive at Sohi has that I bought and I'm letting her read it and immediately she's loving it she's like this speaks to me so well she's posting and tagging it so he's been resharing it in her story so more people are seeing so he was a good person and ultimately I have a stronger trust with my client I was able to steer her in the direction of the stuff that I felt would help her more and instead of you know being 
Club uh, nervous, Google. nervous about yeah. you're being, wrong. Threatened, you're wrong. being threatened by this, wrong. you know, this, this, this young guy. <laughs> I think who did maybe one bodybuilding show and has no formal education, this guy. But I can't jump on that stuff first. He's so full of shit. He's like, he's saying that. And then he's like, now he's going to go back, go listen to my podcast. And then I'm going to talk about this person. Is <laughs> <laughs> it irrelevant? Nothing. But it, it makes a really good point. And, you know, there's nothing to be threatened by. I'm not going to lose a client to someone else. But a good way to create some issue is this client really wanted to explore this idea. And if I poo it all over it, well, two things are going to happen. One is they're probably going to go fuck around with it anyway. And two, the next time they get an idea, they're not going to come to me because they're going to be scared to see what I think. So then they're going to go and do it without my knowledge or consent. Does that make sense? You don't that makes complete it. sense. You, you know what? I was actually thinking about something similar the other day. I was, uh, I was in the gym. I was knocking out an exercise. And there was a trainer working with an older lady. And you know what? Technique was not good. I'm not employed by this gym. I'm not going to go up and say, hey, this is what you should be doing. And I've had people, you know, send me a message on, on social media. If they see somebody in the background doing something incorrect in a video, hey, you should go up and say something. But it comes to that idea of, you know, when somebody else is interested in improving their health, improving their fitness, don't take it and then just, you know, nix it right there. You've got to understand where this falls into the bigger picture. Using the example I was just saying, if I walked over and said, hey, this is really what you should be doing, she's going to have a lot less trust in that direct trainer and think I'm an asshole. Yep. And who knows? Is she going to stop buying into everything else that she's doing? She might be doing a couple things incorrectly, but you know what? She's in there. She's committing to this. She's investing her time and her money to get better. And who are we to push people away completely just because we have our own agenda? and dissuade people from truly maybe taking things on their own and going down their own journey and exploring for themselves. I think the best that we can do is to truly educate people and be like, hey, you know what? It's great that you're looking at this. If you ever have questions on it or want my opinion, let me know and I'm here for you. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up because like that's the wise answer. And like that exact example, like Ben House like literally just wrote about that. He's come out of the jungle and was in Texas and he saw all these people doing fucked up shit. And he's like, you know what? I have to take a step back and be like, this is fucking awesome. Like, there's a lot more people in the gym doing stuff. And like at some point, yeah. our role, and I won't say our role, but is to, like you said, educate and put out better information, but also understand what's going on. It's not even being empathetic. It's like these things can be positive. It's just that there's a lot of people that are choosing to take the negative route, which I just don't, there's not a net positive to that. Like it's just pissing people off. And it, it, it's, it's, again, going back to talking to fitness professionals. We can go and trash game changers all we want, like fucking gladiators. Like, give me a fucking <laughs> Yeah. But, like, that, like that's, just, that's a conversation you have with, like, people who are in, in the echo chamber. Like, that's an echo chamber conversation. But there is a world outside of that echo chamber, and that's being wise, in my opinion. That's why I like this topic, because you've been always really good at that. Like, even when you started talking about alcohol. Like, no one's talking about, oh, it's fucking bad, or you don't do it. And you're like, oh, you can include it. And, like, you just did infographics, and it, like, that blew up. And you were literally, yeah. it's not that hard to do. It's just a mindset. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, again, everything can happen to smaller doses, and it's this ab absolute approach to everything, especially in fitness right now that we're seeing, where it's, it's either black or it's white. Like, no, there actually is a gray area. And you have to be able to to have that conversation with people to understand in the context of how things fit in. And for us, really what that comes back to is, you know, more or less our tagline. We help busy people look great naked without living in the gym. And having that perspective is how can these other things that are already part of your life still be part of the picture, maybe a little bit less here, maybe a little bit more here, 
to still get you where you want to go. Because when it comes to fitness, when it comes to health, you know, we're changing. We think that we're just changing somebody's diet. We think we're just changing their nutrition. These underpin every other physiological mental response that's going on in somebody else's body, not to mention the interpersonal relationships that they're having. So when we completely shun different ideas, have a complete all or nothing perspective, you know, it, it, it tends to put a lot more people off and turns them into the folks who end up hopping from program to program, diet to diet, looking for the perfect solution because the other perfect solutions that were all yeah. or nothing didn't work. That's true. Like, and that's where the absolutes come in because like, there's still an all or nothing approach. Like we, the bodybuilding, like that we'll call clean eating. Like for some people, that's an absolute. So for some people it's not. And like, it can, that's just a program hop for someone, even though it's ideal for you. I don't know. That's just that understanding of our industry. I think it just gets lost because of the tribes, because of the camps, because of, because of the science even, you know what I mean? Yeah. We've, we've had guests on before and, you know, even evidence-based scientific stuff becomes its own tribe and camp. And, you know, it, just because someone wa waves that flag <clears throat> does not mean, excuse me, <clears throat> it goes back to knowledge versus wisdom. Uh, they may be possessed of knowledge or they may be misrepresenting knowledge, but they may not have the wisdom to know how to navigate it and to communicate it effectively to help people. And sometimes I think it's just a way to be morally superior to other people in the industry. Totally. Totally. That drives me nuts. I'm not even going to go too far <laughs> down that one. But let's start I'm naming off names. You want to do it? Like you start. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, so I was reading something though the other day and they're talking specifically um, looking at studies of intermittent fasting. Another one is looking at uh, ketogenic diets and all these studies are based on mice and talking about <laughs> how these like, listen, like I understand doing some animal testing and using that as a jumping off point if there's some similarities, but it doesn't mean it transfers over to human. Get off your high horse. What is this? <laughs> I think Mike T. Nelson wrote, he was like, he actually had a meme or something. Mike, Mike Nelson barely calls it out, but he's like, don't quote a fucking study to me. The guy who like literally knows every fucking study, he's like, don't quote a study to me about mice, which is funny because he's never like that, but it's just like, listen, why would someone ask him a fucking question and say like this? And like that's the dude who knows all the studies. Like, shut the fuck up. And Mike, yeah, exactly. Mike, exactly. Mike, is, Mike is one of the nicest exactly. guys in the industry, right? He's just such a friendly, cuddly, sort of happy dude, right? You wind, wind him up a little bit. Okay, something's wrong. Let's. Uh, unfortunately, I am a little. Excuse me, on my voice. <clears throat> um, I'm a little short on time, but we did want to make sure that we let everybody know how to find you. But before we do that, we're going to ask: uh, Have you read anything really good in the last little while since we last talked? That uh, you know shaped your philosophies helped you in your career uh you know one thing I'll tell you what here's something i have been doing a little bit different i'm somebody who if you give me a book idea i'm going to read it and i'll consume a shit ton of information and i also fall down the pit of information overload like anybody else so i've really made a big focus instead of just trying to consume every new book every new study everything that's coming out instead taking a step back looking at the things that i have already found to be beneficial to myself i've read before and here's what I do. When I get a book, I read it and I highlight it the first time. After I read and highlight it, I might pick up the audiobook and listen to it right after that and take it in a different way. And after that, I'll write down the information that stands out to me and just put it all on a document. And then instead of trying to con consume all these new books, I'm consuming some of the same information, but I'm having a much deeper understanding of everything that I'm doing. And to me, I think it's 
so important for us to focus on doing a little bit less, but doing it better, maybe owning the content that we have instead of just taking so much information in and truly understanding maybe the benefits of a certain book, a certain ideology or something that, that we include into our businesses and, you know, into our fitness practices. So that's been my focus, do a little bit less, a little bit better, go deeper down the rabbit hole, everything that I do. And I can tell you one thing, man, my, um, my ability to retain information, to truly understand a topic and connect it, you know, in different areas of my life is so much deeper, so much better. And I don't feel overwhelmed with that approach. I actually, I actually like that. I like that too. Cause like <clears throat> I get the same way and like we, we both listen to audiobooks and like I've been, I've been on information overload. So I've just kind of stopped and take a step back. But when you listen to stuff at two times, like I don't, I retain a bit, but like, I think it would be better every time I write down stuff, like it makes sense. But if I go back and write notes or use my highlights, I retain so much more. And I, that's harder to do though. I think my approach, <laughs> while it's not, yeah, it hard, is. you know, I have a reputation like uh, Mark Fisher, who co-host I would just talk to for consuming a lot of books. You know, I probably average about 80 plus a year, but <clears throat> I'm doing that while I'm driving. I'm doing it while I'm cooking. And yeah, I do listen on two times speed and I'm able to absorb that stuff. No problem there. It works for me. I'm not spending the other time, uh, sitting down and reading a lot of these books that still are probably very similar to the previous books I read. Some of my downtime, I'm physically reading uh, Brett Contreras' Glute Lab. I think that is a worthwhile pursuit. And I've tried to spend time reading this kind of stuff. Uh, Brad Schoenfeld's uh, Muscle Hypertrophy textbook, that one's really good. I've been reading more recently as well before Brett's came in. It, but otherwise, with my actual time, I'm trying to well, spend time with people, uh, coach, write, create, and I, and I just put up something on social media about this stuff, quite literally about just not getting stuck in this endless loop of consuming, consuming. We talked about this with Jordan Side on his podcast recently, but actually using some of that time to create and to apply what you're doing. I feel comfortable yeah. like going through a lot of audiobooks simply because it's easy for me to do. And every once in a while, something comes along that, that hits on, like, I'll give you a few examples from this year. Uh, mindset was a book. Uh, it's about fixed versus growth mindset. Really dove into that one. Uh, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game just came out. Fantastic book. Really, you know, resonated with me. Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the key. Is amazing. There's a book by Kelly McGonigal. She's famous for uh, a book on willpower, but it's The Upside of Stress. And then a few of Brene Brown's books I read earlier this year. So out of you know maybe the 65 or 70 I've gotten through this year, there's probably 10 or so that really grabbed me and I dug deeper into and I pulled stuff out of. So I am sifting through what's out there and sometimes, okay, yeah, that book doesn't really speak. So therefore I drop it halfway. How many books have you read this year? Have I? Um, Shit, I don't even know. You've done it, you've done um, it like three times. You, you, you basically wrote, read them. Oh, I, think, sorry, I think you're talking to me. I'm like, me? I don't know, man. Well, you'll probably read stuff. Like I think John Berardi's got something coming out and I'm eager to read it. Uh, Change Makers, I think, is his book. And so that'd be pretty good. So I think we've got an unstable connection. So Eric Stroh is not. Can you hear us, buddy? Of course. Right at the end. Right at the end. Right at the end. When we're going to be like, Eric, where do we find you? Oh. We got him back in. Oh, we got All right. <laughs> Woo. We can, we can, Woo. you can chop that out, right? You can edit Was that your connection? Might have been honest. I have no idea. Doesn't matter. We got you back. Okay, so I think we're kind of done with that point. So let's just uh, yeah. We're, we're, so 
I, I don't think anything has changed, but like where where's the best place to find Eric Bach and, and, and get all your information and your coaching stuff? Like give give us some plugs. Yeah, best place to find me is probably gonna be Instagram. So Instagram.com backslash Bach performance B-A-C-H, just like the composer. And uh, reach out, send me a direct message. I'll give you all the links and all the shout outs from there. Um, otherwise, check out BachPerformance.com. Um, we're still putting out, you know, if you're somebody who likes to read articles, go a little bit deeper on the subject versus what you're going to see necessarily in a uh, social media post. Hey, we're still posting everything weekly there. A uh, ton of great guides and things that we can hook you up with to really help you simplify fitness so you can ultimately look better naked without living in the gym. That's sweet. Great. We really appreciate you coming on here. Um, this this was fun. <laughs> There's a few game changers, we don't, sports. I don't know. It's like one of those mornings when it was just like Andrew put some football stuff in, and I told him, I'm like, this is getting a lot of topic. He's like, no, it's not. I'm like, it's you don't include sports stuff, and then and then I got him off topic, which is usually my goal is to like get Andrew off topic, <laughs> get him rolling, then we're good. Yeah. Hey, I mean, we, we talked about sports, we talked about lifting weights, we talked about vegans. Yep, we got a pretty good uh, all of it. I think, <laughs> I think like, like. If you're gonna do that, and we still got like some good coaching advice and some online training stuff, so like we brought the expert in for that, but we also want your opinion on on vegans. So like we need to tap into that mind. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a steak. Anyone listening, uh, if this is the first time you've heard Eric on with us, if you're finding us through Eric, well, we, Eric's been on before. Go check it out. Um, take a walk through all of the guests that we've had. We mentioned a few recent ones like Luca Hosevar and Jordan Syed. But we've had the industry's who's who. We're pretty proud of our, our roster of guests. So hopefully you'll stick around and check out more of our stuff. And if you're a long-time listener, you know, thanks again for being with us through. It's over 110 episodes now. And the, you know, the people we're putting, putting on here are our industry friends or people we believe in. or some of the industry leaders who are making a big difference. And in the case of Eric, if you, know, if you haven't yet turned around and followed him, there's a ton of really practical, useful content. I talked about this earlier, but this is a professional who is going to be able to help you with your goals and if you're a fitness professional well shit you know there's really great role model you can probably learn a lot of stuff from so go check out what he's doing and thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you again next week Peace, buddy. thanks guys appreciate it thank you shut up and sit down